This morning, if you have your Bibles there with you at your house, turn to the book of First Peter. We're changing things up just a little bit this week from normal. We're moving from First Peter chapter 1 to First Peter chapter 2. So go ahead, turn to the second chapter of the book of First Peter. So we're going into this second chapter now, and he continues to build on what he was saying in chapter 1. Now, I'm not going to go back and recap everything from chapter 1, but just a, a quick aside here. If you're fairly new to the Christian faith or if you're new to maybe reading or studying your Bible, one thing you need to understand is especially in this New Testament section that we're in, these were written as letters. When Peter wrote this, he didn't write them with chapter breaks, verse breaks, things like that. He wrote it as a letter, as one continuous train of thought. Now, while there can be different areas and different thoughts within the same letter, whenever we make a transition from chapter 1 to chapter 2, it's not saying that there's a complete break in thought and he's beginning a new thought process. Uh, so just keep that in mind. We have the chapters and the verses there for ease of reference for us. Uh, but when this was written, Peter didn't just magically you know, put a period there at the end of chapter 1 and you know, write chapter 2 and then start a new thought. This is continuing to build off of what he did in chapter 1 where he was talking about the hope that is in Jesus Christ in every situation and circumstance that we find ourselves in. And then he gives begins to give us some steps, some uh, action steps, some practical applications for us where we have seen the past couple weeks uh, being obedient to him, living a, a with a holy lifestyle is one that he mentioned. And then we talked last week about his command to for us to love one another fervently from a pure heart. And he now moves into another area of an action step that we need to be building on in a practical application in our lives when he begins in chapter 2, and he starts talking about the Word of God. Now, J.I. Packer, in his work on the Puritans, which was an, an, early, um, an earlier church movement, uh, says this when describing their feelings on God's Word says, to the Puritan, the Bible was in truth the most precious possession that this world affords. Their deepest conviction was their reverence for Scripture, and serving God to them meant obeying Scripture. Now today, from these first three verses of chapter 2, I'm going to try to make an attempt to motivate you to be in God's Word consistently. And I believe that's important for us because we have to understand that no matter what stage of our walk that we're in, whether we're a new Christian, whether uh, we're just a little bit into this, or whether we've been years in our faith and in our walk with Jesus Christ, the, the truth is, is that we need to have God's Word in our lives to grow in our relationship with Him. We must have His Word to grow in our salvation. So let's read verses 1 through 3. Of chapter 2. Verse 1 says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Pray with me this morning. Father, I thank you again for another opportunity to be together. Uh, to be able to unpack your word, to learn from your word, to be challenged from it. God, to have an opportunity to sing praises to you, to worship you. 
And God, as we now move into worshiping you in your word, we ask that, God, you allow this to mold us, to shape us, to make us, and, and really just have our hearts challenged, have our lives challenged, um, bring encouragement, bring hope, bring strength, bring peace into the hearts that need it. And God, we understand and we recognize that your living word is that source that you have given us in our lives. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Now, one thing before I start giving point-per-point type stuff with this passage, I've spoken with with a few of you on the phone, with several of you on the phone. I've texted with some of you just back and forth. And the one message that I keep getting over and over again is how much you miss my jokes, you know, especially live and in person. But I understand that I haven't told a whole lot of jokes or, or really had my dad humor on point during some of these online times that we have. Um, and, and that really got me, you know, to thinking that I really needed to up my game. But uh, so I, I, I was looking at some books that I had on my desk uh, at, at the house. And I was thinking, you know, I, I've still got the, the gift of the, the greatest gift that I think I've ever received was the you know, embarrassing dad jokes book that was gifted to me from some of our youth group members here. And I thought about picking that up and looking for some source. And I thought, you know, there's there's probably better ways that I could be spending my time, the, the better ways that I could be expanding my intellect. And, and I moved on from that book and I picked up uh, this book and began to read it on the history of glue. And to be honest with you, I haven't been able to put it down since. Okay, same response as what I would get if everybody was here. Thank you, Virgil Messer, uh, for that joke. So if anybody wants to blame anyone, blame Virgil. But anyhow, let's get into Scripture this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-3, through 3, we see that there are a few things in here as Peter begins to shift a gear once again, and he begins to instruct us on how critically important it is for us to be in the Word of God. And for us to have a reliance on that and have a deepening in our understanding of the Word of God. I think that there's a few things that that we're going to look at from this this morning. And I believe the first question uh, that, that I had as I read this is, what is the Word of God like? I believe Peter gives us an answer here. If we're, we're asking the question, what is the Word of God like? He gives us a couple examples here. He tells us first off that it's pure. And in this, this Greek word that, they, that we get in the English language for pure, it actually means to not be deceitful. Basically, during this time, they would have merchants in the marketplace that would sell milk. And the dishonest merchants would add water to the milk uh, to water it down. That's where we get that saying. But what they would do is this would make more profit for them because they were selling less of an actual product for the same price as what others were selling whole products. And that's where we get that term watered down again. And they were dishonest in what they were doing. It wasn't pure milk that they were selling. And this is what Peter's giving us an example of, that God's Word is pure. It's not deceitful. It's not watered down. It's not dishonest. It is pure. Now, I think that when we take this Word, when we take His Bible, and recognize it and see it as pure, as not deceitful, as not manipulative, not any of those things, but to see it as pure, then that begins to 
help me to understand me. Because if I'm in this word, in this pure word, and allowing it to do its work, then what that means is that's going to reveal things about me. It's going to make me, it's going to force me to be honest about myself. And it will inevitably expose any wrong motives or impure bad thoughts that I have. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 12, we see that uh, the writer says that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And I think that that's such a powerful visual, uh, even to this day, to think about that the Word is, is so piercing, can be so piercing to our hearts and our lives, that there's, there's this reference to it being like a sword. But if we step back into the culture just a little bit, you know, we think of the sword as being an offensive weapon only, and, and, and no doubt that's what it always has been. It's always been an attack weapon. But there was also not only an element in this time for the sword to be an offensive, piercing weapon, but the sword also he held healing properties as well. And here's how it did that. They would not only use the sword to pierce, but they would use it to heal that if you if you were cut, if you were uh, you know, if you sustained an injury, what you could do is you could take the sword and you could heat it in the fire and, and heat that metal, and then you could actually place it on the wound and it would cauterize the wound and therefore begin the healing process. So it gives us this picture here of the Word of God. It's not only a piercing agent in our life and something that pierces us into our core and exposes these motives, these things, these wrong habits, these wrong thoughts, and these impurities, it not only does that, but it also heals us at the same time because the Word of God not only offers correction, but it offers healing in our lives. And I love that imagery of the Word of God being sharper than any two-edged sword that it not only pierces, but it also heals at the same time. And the, the thing about you know being a preacher, being a minister, is after you do it for you know, a, a long enough time, if you stay true to the Word of God, then one of the, the constant areas of feedback that you get is people accusing you of preaching at them, of knowing what was going on in their lives. And, oh, he meant that for me. And, and I've even had someone talk about uh, during this time of isolation, during this time of online, that I'm actually continually looking at them and preaching to them, and, and Greg Cherry, I'm talking to you right now, maybe it's a guilty conscience. I, I don't know, but that's one of the things that you constantly hear, that if the Word of God is being preached rightly, it's being divided properly, then it will speak to the areas in your life. And listen, I don't know hardly anything about the people. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I can assure you of one thing, that if this message speaks to you, if it cuts into you, into your heart, into your motives, into your thoughts, then that's what the Word of God does. It's not me being purposeful. Listen, I can't get myself straightened out long enough to worry about preaching at other people. That's what the Word of God does, is that it cuts us in the areas where we need to be cut. And I never, ever, ever want to be guilty of watering down the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's one thing that's really easy for, for us as fleshly people to do is we, we at times can feel like we need to make God's Word relevant. Brothers and sisters, hear me when I say that this Word is relevant with or without you. With or without me, this Word is relevant. I don't need to... 
through my opinion, through my words, I don't need to try to make it relevant. It is the living, active, piercing word of God, and it is relevant. You see, the root of all of our problems, every problem that we've ever had, every problem that we currently have, and every problem that we will have in our lives, the root is the same, and that is sin in our hearts. Sin will lead to pride, and if we get to watering down the word or, or moving it along with our own opinions, thinking we need to make it relevant, that's a pride issue. But the beautiful part about the, the word of God is that in its purest, most undeceitful form, the word of God will confront us where our lives have gone astray, and it will lead us and help us to get back on track. I love the quote from Francis Chan where he says, whenever I read the Bible and I come across something that I disagree with, I have to assume that I'm wrong. I love that. Because there are things, I mean, if you really get into this word and you really begin to read it, there will be things that you will disagree with. There will be things that offend you. There will be things that cause you to raise your eyebrow. But I love this recognition from Chan here when he says that no matter what it is, no matter how vehemently I disagree with it, if I disagree with something in God's Word, then I have to assume that I'm the one that's wrong. So we know that the Word is pure. The Word is not deceitful. Peter also gives us this indication that it's nourishing. He likens it to a mother's milk. Uh, it supplies uh, us with nourishment, and Paul does this as well. Uh, it, it supplies us with nourishment to help us grow no matter what age of spiritual maturity that you are at. Now, Paul does encourage us to move from milk into the solid foods, but we have to understand something, that we never outgrow this word. We never outgrow the nourishment that this word provides us. And if we do outgrow it, then we've gone astray somewhere very, very badly. It's, you know, whenever... You, whenever you get into this word and you're desiring it and you're craving it and you're reading it and it's speaking life into you and it's giving you nourishment, that makes you crave it more and more and more. It, it, it causes you to desire it more and more and more. You know, we, we have this, Kim won't let me do it anymore, um, but I, I really, and we were just talking about this before we started recording, I think I've grown since last week. I think that I've physically grown at least an inch or so, maybe, who knows. But Kim won't let me mark myself anymore. Do you remember when you were growing up and you, uh, you had that one door frame in your house that, uh, that you would mark heights and then you would come back to it ever so often and you would put these different marks? Those were indicators of growth. Well, one of the most frustrating things for me growing up as a kid when I was wanting to grow was that I would go one day and I would get measured. And then I would go back the next day to measure. That was the same height. Then I'd go back the next day and I would measure. Growth doesn't always happen instantaneously. And that's one thing we need to understand that the nourishment of this word provides for us. Because here's the reality. You and I always see what's wrong in us first. We see the areas that we're falling short. We get frustrated with ourselves for our deficiencies, for our dysfunctions, for our shortcomings, our failures. And those are the things that we see in our lives most most vividly when we look in the mirror of our lives. The reality of it is, is that growth, spiritual growth, takes time. It takes effort. It takes intentionality. 
It takes us being dedicated to not only His Word, but being dedicated to Him and in prayer to Him and our relationship with Him. There are moments where you will feel like you are not growing. There are moments that you may feel like you're shrinking, that you're moving back, that you're falling away. My friend, in those times, there is nothing more important in your life than staying connected to the presence of God. And we do that mainly in a couple ways, by continuing to pray and continuing to keep ourselves in His Word. If you stay in His Word, if you stay in prayer and you stay in His presence, you will grow, period. So one of the most difficult things, all the way from new believers or people who are making a decision for Christ, all the way up to people who have served God their whole lives, one of the biggest things that you hear is it's hard to stay motivated to be in God's Word. It's hard to read my Bible like I know I should. And I think that we need to look at it from a couple different angles here. We talked about this newborn, this nourishment type thing. And the newborns, they crave food, okay? And let's be honest, I crave food. And believe it or not, my wife can even, she's even accused me a time or two of not being the nicest person when I'm hungry. Um, I don't ever see that in my life. And I think she may be making that up to be dramatic, but she says it nonetheless. But I remember... When Rachel was first born, uh, we had just brought her home from the hospital, and we were there, and she, you know, it was one of those nights that she had woken up in the middle of the night and was wanting to be fed, and she was so tiny that she was having trouble with the bottles at the time. So what they told us to do and what they encouraged us to do was to take a little bottle of formula, run this little tube down our finger, and run it down the outside of our finger and, and put it in her mouth in that way that she could get the milk. And I remember I was sitting in the rocking chair in her nursery, rocking her, and I finally got everything situated there on my pinky, and, and I put it into her mouth to get her to take this bottle, and, and it was she was kind of confused at first, and then all of a sudden, man, she realized what was going on, and, and it was at like three, I don't even know if she was three weeks old or not, but at this early stage in life, my child had already mastered the art of some type of mixed martial arts submission hold because I don't know what nerve she hit in my pinky or how she did it exactly, but there was a significant amount of pain and she would not let go because she was craving the nourishment of that milk. And she still can cause bodily harm to this day at 20 years old if She's hungry and you get in her way. But anyhow, that's beside the point. So how do we get to that type of motivation? How do we get to that type of desire of where we are seeking after God's word and we desire it so much that, that we go at it with that type of veracity, with that type of passion? Well, I think that Peter gives us a couple examples here. And I, I love it when the Bible answers our questions. It all, it's almost like God's Word knows what it's talking about. But in verse 1, Peter says this, lying, laying aside all malice. Now, I, I love this laying aside concept because this word actually, um, you know, actually means that to cast something off. You see, I believe one of the first things that we have to do is we have to lay aside or put off this sin in our life that hinders us. Because the, the truth is, is that sin of any kind will always 
hinder your relationship with God. No matter how big of a sin you feel it is, no matter how big of a deal that you think it is in your life, you can think it's one of the smallest sins ever, or you can think it's something catastrophic. Sin in and of itself will always hinder your relationship with God. Now, this word again, this laying aside, this phrase, some of it, you know, some translations say cast it aside, cast it off. This is, gives us this visual of casting off filthy garments. Now, I'm not just talking about dirty. I'm talking about not just the ones that you would think, oh, I just maybe need to let that, uh, that shirt air out a little bit there. Maybe that just needs, this is talking about something that is absolutely filthy and you are casting it aside, not to pick it back up at a later point, but to actually have it removed completely and totally from you. You see, the problem that I have, I'll speak for me at this point, and I think that there's probably one or two of you that is true also. I don't have difficulty laying aside my sins most of the time, especially when I begin to realize what type of damage they're doing, what type of, of, of just conflict that it's stirring inside of me. And then when I begin to realize how much distance it's putting beside me and God, I really want to cast that sin aside. I really want to lay it down. The problem that I have, though, is I tend to pick it back up. All of these things that, that hinder me, hinder my relationship with God, I have a tendency to not, not only throw it down, but then pick it back up. And you know, it's that, that whole saying, and I've heard it for years, you know, just we need to lay our sins, we need to lay our burdens, we need to lay our worries, our anxieties, we need to lay them at the foot of the cross. And you know what, that's absolutely 100% true. But the problem that I have, and I, the, the problem that most believers that I have ever encountered have, is that we have a tendency to go back and pick them back up. We'll turn it over to Jesus. We'll say, Jesus, this is yours. I'm tired of it. I'm done with it. I can't handle this anymore. I've got to be rid of it. This is yours. I'm laying it at your feet. And then we come right back after a little while. We'll go, ah, sorry, I need that. Let me pick that back up. Thanks. That hinders our relationship with God. And the reality that we all know is that we're surrounded with our sins. We're surrounded by sins um, that, that affect us. We're, we're, we see them in our workplace. We see them in our family. We see them in every area of our lives. We're surrounded by these things. And too often, we just allow them to be a part of our lives and just say, oh, that's just who I am. You see, it's the easiest thing for us to do to try to cover up our sins. Because if you're anything like me, again, some of your sins that you know are sins, some of these dysfunctions, some of these things that you know are absolutely not of God, sometimes we make friends with them. Sometimes we begin to identify ourselves as being someone who, well, I just say hurtful things. That just happens. Well, I just act that way sometimes. Sometimes I just act that way. Sometimes I'm, that's just who I am. That's just how God made me. See, what we're trying to do is we're trying to cover up sin with Jesus when sin cannot exist in the presence of God. It's not, a, it's not a situation to where we can pick and choose what we get to keep, what we like, what we've made friends with, what we've become uh, personal you know, acquaintances with, what has become part of our identity. We, we don't have that option to be able 
to determine that. If it's not of God, it needs to go. If it's a sin in your life, then you need to lay it down and you need to quit picking it back up. It's the same with me. There's, there's areas in my life that for years I've laid them down and maybe for, I've walked away from them for months, but for some reason I'll just slip back in and pick them up every now and then. That's not how it works. We have to make sure that we are letting God take care of our sins. And this, this is kind of the list of sin. I, I, I want to go through these quickly of what Peter gives us here in verse 1. He says we need to put aside all malice. And that's basic uh, general wickedness overall. We need to lay that aside. All deceit. We need to lay that down. That basically means to bait or to snare someone or to manipulate somebody with a, with a conversation, with a word, with, with any type of situation like that. We need to stop that. With hypocrisy, he says to lay, lay aside hypocrisy, which is basically wearing a mask or pretending to be something that you're not. A hypocrite back in the early biblical times would have been someone who we would consider to be an actor, someone who was really good at being something or someone that they actually weren't. Then envy, or being jealous of, or wanting what other people have to a detrimental degree. And then he says, all evil speaking, that speaking against, or the being one way to someone's face, saying one thing, putting on this, again, this, this, this mask, saying one thing and being one way to someone's face and then maybe talking about them in a terrible way after they turn away from you. So he gives us this list of all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, all evil speaking. That's one of the way that you begin to desire this. You begin to, decrave, you begin to crave this because if those things are functioning in your life, then they are going to work against your hunger and your desire to serve God and to be in His Word. And then I think that we also have to focus on God's grace. Focus on what God has done for us. In verse 3, it says, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. That verse starts with a really big two-letter word right there. If. He says, if indeed. Now this implies that Peter is focusing here that if something is lacking in our lives, if there's an area of dysfunction, if there's an area of struggle and something that we are not moving on from, if there's an area in our lives that's hindering our relationship with God, Peter is implying this, that it's there because of you. It's not God's fault. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. You see, if you're truly saved, then you have tasted of the graciousness and the kindness of God. And I love that there's a piece of conduit here because we're only doing three verses this morning and we've talked about verse 1, we've talked about verse 3, but there's a vehicle that gets us from one place, from one verse to the other, and that's verse 2 where it says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So you're laying aside all of these sins, all of these hindrances, all of these things that keep you from God, and then you get into this place to where you've tasted and seen that the Lord is gracious, that the Lord is good, that the Lord is kind. What's one of the vehicles, what's the conduit that gets us there that as newborn babes desiring the pure milk of the Word of God that causes us to grow? 
It's the same concept. I, there's, there's another section in, in the book of Ephesians, and, and I know that we talked a little bit about the, the mind and the thought level uh, a couple Sundays ago. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24, this is Paul saying that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. In verse 22, he talks about the old man. He talks about our former conduct, our corruption, and our deceitful lust. And then in verse 24, he's talking about this new man, this true righteousness, this true holiness in God. And we see in verse 23 this conduit, this vehicle that takes us from this old man to this new man of, of righteousness and holiness. And it's where he says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That thought process. And that's what, first, that's what Peter's done here in this passage this morning, that laying aside all of these things and getting to this place, one of the vehicles, one of the pieces of conduit that allows that to happen is the Word of God in our lives. So how do we do this? How, how, do we, how do we get from this one place to another? How do I, how do I make that difference in my life? I'm going to give you some Sunday school answers here. Um, and you know, they're simple answers, but sometimes, most often, really, it's the simple, the simple answers and those Sunday school answers that make the biggest impact on us and make the biggest difference in our lives. So how do we do this? Well, first, read God's Word. Just read God's Word. Be a faithful reader of God's Word. And I understand that some people don't read well. Some people don't enjoy reading. Some people struggle with reading. I get that. But read God's Word. This has eternal value to it. This is something that helps determine your eternity. So there's no struggle, there's no level of enjoyment, there's no level of misery that should keep you from reading God's Word. There isn't a magic wand that's going to be waved that's going to do this other than reading His Word. Secondly, study His Word. Don't just skim over it. Now there's, there's differences, and I, I say this sometimes, and I'll say it now. I have my Bible reading times, and I have times dedicated to studying my Bible. Because when I read it, I just read. But when I study it, I get really in-depth to it, as, as deep as I can get anyhow. I begin to ask questions. I begin to look at the cultural context. I begin to look at the audience. I begin to look at the writer. I begin to look at what's going on in the situation that all of these things are being... I'm asking questions. The who, what, when, where, why, how. All of those basic questions. So not only read your Bible but take time to study your Bible as well. And then lastly, experience God's Word. This is, one of my, this is one of those things that I have on a note card that I keep around me at all times, that every experience I have with God should be able to be backed up in His Word. If I can't back up an experience, a spiritual experience I've had with God, if I can't back it up in His Word, then I need to question the authenticity of it, if I really had an experience with God. And on the flip side of that, Every time I read this word, it should lead me into an encounter or an experience with God. So make sure you're reading God's word. And don't just read it. Take times where you dedicate to studying God's word as well. 
And then make sure you're experiencing it. Make sure you're living it. Make sure you're putting into practice what you're reading and, and, and be challenged by it. Allow it to grow you. Now, if you're not, and if you're in a place in your life that you simply do not crave the Word of God, period, we've all been there. So, hey, we've got jackets, we've got a club, we've all been there. So don't think you're on an island by yourself and you're the only one who's ever struggled craving this Word or being in this Word. But if you're there, then maybe there's some reasons for that. and Maybe you need to ask yourself some questions. Is there, is there something in your life that, is there maybe sin in your life that's causing you from not desiring God's Word? Ask yourself that. Ask God that. God, is there sin there that's hindering me? in my relationship with you. Maybe you haven't truly tasted and seen His graciousness and His kindness. And maybe, maybe because there's other things that are more tempting to you that take your focus away. Sometimes the TV needs to go off. Sometimes the phone needs to be set down. Sometimes the internet needs to be shut down. Sometimes you need to stow away with God in His Word, in His presence, in prayer. If Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the sinless Lamb, the perfect person, found it a priority that at the end of every day that He get alone and be with God, how much more valuable would that be to us? So this morning I challenge you, get into God's Word. Get into God's pure, holy Word. Allow it to redefine you. Allow it to begin to give you a new identity. Allow it to begin to reveal things in your heart that you may have never even known was there. Because it may not be pleasant at the time. Trust me, when there's sin revealed in our lives, it's usually never pleasant. But at the end, when we can stand in front of Him and we can hear Him say the words, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Every bit of it will be worth it. And if this morning, if you're watching this and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior and you have a desire to hear those words for your eternity, then I urge you to give your heart to Jesus Christ. Don't wait. Don't think about it any longer. If you're feeling that convicting tug on your heart, then I urge you to respond to it. Our web address is on the screen. We would love to be able to pray with you for your salvation, not only for your salvation, but we would love to also pray for you and things that's going on in your life. If you're facing difficulties like most people are during this time and you would like for us to be praying with you, please fill this out. Go to our website and fill this out. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that it challenges us. Thank you for the way that it confronts our sin, our fleshly nature, and, and our impure motives and thoughts. God, I pray for everyone that's, that's heard this this morning, that we would be challenged to read your word, to study your word, to be led into your presence via this word. And God, help us to desire this word. Help us to want to spend time with you in your word. Father, we love you. We thank you for your son. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.